Good evening. You're very welcome to the final edition of Ireland's Generation X, a series of conversations about Ireland's in-between generation. We're delighted to present Ireland's Generation X in partnership with the Keonachtan Institute for Irish Studies at the University of Notre Dame. My name is Benedict Schlepper Connolly. I'm the digital curator here at Molly, and we're on Dublin St. Stephen's Green and open six days a week from Tuesday to Sunday, 10.30 a.m. to 6 p.m. with late opening on Thursdays until 7.30 p.m. So do drop by and visit us soon. This evening, we're once again joined by Professor Barry McRae, a novelist and scholar of comparative literature, and he'll be in conversation with the writer Claire Kilroy. Kilroy, whose work has been described as savagely comic and great fun by the New York Times, is the author of four novels. That's All Summer, Tender Wire, All Names Have Been Changed, and The Devil I Know. Claire is currently working on Darling, a, no a novel about motherhood. If you enjoyed tonight's programme, I'd encourage you to buy Molly membership for yourself or for a friend. It's really the best way to support the museum and our programming. Just visit molly.ie forward slash membership to find out more. Before we begin, I'd like to extend our special thanks to Professor Barry McRae for leading us through this really illuminating series of conversations with Ireland's Generation X and to all at the Keonachtan Institute for Irish Studies at the University of Notre Dame, in particular, Catherine Wilston and Mary Hendrickson for such a rich collaboration. And with that, I'll hand you over to Professor Barry McRae and to Claire Kilroy. Enjoy the evening. Hi, Claire. Hi, Barry. Um, so you're the last in our series, and that's because we held out to do it in person. We I mean, did, I'm very yes. glad we did. So. This series has been about um, writers born in what we're calling the long 1970s, so, but who have shared that kind of um, cultural soup. We're all cooked yeah. in that cultural soup. So maybe just tell us about the world you grew up in, your childhood, 1980s Hoth, I suppose we're talking about. 80s or 70s? Because they were so different. Well, start with the 70s. Well, the 70s was sunny and happy. Like I remember it was um, a very different economic environment and a very free, we were free-range children, you know, we were just out. And then the 80s came and was miserable because of the economic depression. And I remember that not quite being the end of childhood, but um, a bleakness setting in quite early on in our lives that I think, well, I know it defined me, you know. Um, I'm an architect's daughter and from whenever the recession got really bad, we lived with this fear. Daddy's gonna lose his job. We're all gonna have to emigrate. We were about to emigrate to Australia and my dad broke his leg and that didn't happen. But like it was, yeah, the 70s was great. The 80s was horrible. So you're about to emigrate to Australia and your father broke his leg and that's yes, why he didn't go. That's why I speak with this accent, Dublin. Yeah, it was, it was that harsh. Like my, my uncle, my mother's brother was also an architect and he had to go to London every week and come home and it's baby making strangers and that kind of thing. You know, the 80s was a tough old time and I would say as much as I'm defined by the 70s, 70s seems, and actually this is only dropping now, like I love the 70s, I love 70s clothes, I love 70s music, I hate the 80s because it was just hard, it was a bleak, hard decade of fear and panic. Like, do you remember the, the news every night was like this factory closed in that place with the loss of this yeah, amount of jobs. jobs and there's no good news not here anyway so that's yeah well i remember it's lots and lots of children and very little money or jobs lots of children lots of dogs 
Lots of dogs. Lots of dogs. Yeah. None of them had collars. Lots of dog poo. Um, and as I say, we did go out and play. We were, we just ran around all the time, and that was great. You know that aspect of it. And um, now, now I'm a mother, and I, I I cannot tally my childhood with his, or my experience of school with his. And I I, I don't know how it'll play out for him because it's so different that I because. You know, we first of all, there were loads of us in the class. Second of all, there was corporal punishment, Catholicism. Mind you, he has Catholicism, um, but probably not as old school as we had. So all that stuff defines you in ways that you don't get, possibly ever. But, you know, I find the Catholicism, though I'm not, I don't regard myself as a Catholic or believe in God, it's, it's all over my work. It is, um, yeah. Whether I like it or not, it's there. So I'd like to say a bit more about what bits of the primary school world um, that we had, uh, that I mean you had in Hoth, that what that that stuck with you um, through, through the rest of your life. So, like say Catholicism, in, in specifically, what kind of bits of it would you say? Um, confession. Do you remember confession? The box. Do you did you have to get into the box? Oh yeah, I had yeah, to get into all, the box. The box yeah. is gone yeah. for the kids. You know, it's. Um, mm. And it's called reconciliation now. So just that idea of someone else watching you, that was <laughs> so horrible. <laughs> like someone yeah. always watching you. And even as a child, I was, you'd sit on the toilet and go, <laughs> God's watching me. <laughs> to internalize that, you know, they go on and on and on about Irish guilt. And there's a reason for that, because it is the, the, the watching person is inside you. It's instilled in you from, you know, from, well, Say I was the communion year, I was six. So five going in, six finishing it. So you had that, God is, is watching you. Yeah. Oh, you know. Do you feel there's a positive side to that too? That like somebody, at least somebody cares. Like they might be a very judgmental somebody, but it's important uh, what you do. Do you think that's helpful for a writer? Because it's such a self-starting, lonely profession. The idea, this kind of internalized idea that someone is watching. You know, just as you asked that, I don't think I ever felt God loves you even though we were told all the time God loves you and that you're special because God gave you a soul so no no in fact the writing came as part of rebellion against all of that just I don't want to be part of this anymore and indeed I've wondered if it wasn't if I wasn't so kind of cauterized against it by you know you hit 14 and everything sort of explodes and if I wasn't so angry would I have had the drive to keep going against you know, there are, there are a lot of reasons why you should not become a writer or go into the arts. There are far more reasons than not. But We don't have time today to go into all of those reasons. <laughs> <laughs> I have to pay someone to listen to that. But it's, if, if it had been easier, maybe I wouldn't have felt so yeah. angry. And I think anger is actually a really good thing when you're that age to just, it clarifies what you want and, and what you're part of and what you're not part of you know, and, and you find a different tribe. Like I remember getting really into Joyce at that age and he was very down on the church, you know, his work was a rebellion from it and the paralysis and, you know, and I found that exciting and I was like, yeah, what he says and I'm on this bus, not your bus. And, you know, that was, so no, it wasn't, a, it wasn't that I felt welcomed into God's love. It was like, I don't believe any of this and I don't believe that someone can see me all the time and I, 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 I am, going a different route here. 
Now, just listening to these things you're saying now about your early childhood, so your father's an architect, there was unemployment and um, economic poverty around, yes. and um, Catholicism. So I suddenly, as you're talking, I can just see that running through all of your work. Money, and especially debt, is a theme that yes. is there in Tenderwire. It's mm -hmm. there all the way through to the end. Buildings are, are very important. They're obviously, in, um, in the Dove, you know, but yeah. actually just generally buildings, I think, I'm just thinking, they seem to be very present. And then these kind of, this not quite satanic figures, well, in, in, in the last novel, satanic, but, yes. but a sense of um, a Deans. fear of, of punishment. And yeah. yeah, that they all seem to be running yeah and a lot of that actually um, that I have an idea of the abyss <laughs> that, yeah. that people have an abyss and I speak as someone who doesn't have a particular abyss but I, I got glimpses of the abyss and actually not so much from Irish Catholicism but from going to New York when I was 20 and ended up hanging out with all these recovering alcoholics who lived on the edge of that abyss. And if they took a drink, they were down in the abyss and it was hell. And I used to, I spent that whole summer going to AA meetings in New York and listening to these stories. And coming from my background, which was um, safe, middle class, um, my dad didn't lose his job, so it worked out okay. Coming from that to people who were um, completely without anchors and partially in terror, that actually is where I got the whole demons, devil, um, this blackness that isn't that far away for some people. And I, I tend to write about those people, or did in my younger years. You know, I'm, on, I'm at a different era now in my writing life. And the abyss isn't, uh, it, it's not, uh, there's bits of the abyss, but it's different now. You know, I think um, when you're young, you're very volatile. Mm. And it's also very interesting. You know, it's, um, you know when you're on a train platform and a train comes, uh, this doesn't happen to me anymore, but it would happen a lot when, you're, when I was in my 20s, and you just think, what if I jump? You know that, and it's not, I didn't want to kill myself, but it was just like, what if? that would be a radical new way of, <laughs> and short way of looking at the world, you know. It, it's just that, that interest in, in, um, in looking at the chaos. Well, you haven't lots of, in, throughout your work, it seems to me, just listening to you again there, is people who kind of go into an abyss and then come out or seem to come out. It's not mm -hmm. always clear to what extent the kind of exit from the abyss is real or an illusion. Is that right, would you say? Well, certainly the last guy didn't get out of the abyss. So no, he didn't. <laughs> I might just give it I just mean like there are these objects like the painting in All Summer, the violin and tender wire, and then in a way the kind of salvation figure of the famous writer in All Names Have Been Changed. That yeah, people, that know. is more about art. Art is the salvation because that was my salvation on a very literal level that was my salvation so certainly those three my first three novels are the arts as you said one was a painting the second one was music and the third one was writing and that's because it was my redemption um you know 
used to have that the leaving cert dream. That's probably defines us and older generations. I don't know if the younger kids have it as much, but the fear of the leaving. Do you remember the leaving cert? And the I do. <gasps> yeah, Sorry, God, I'd ever forget. Yeah. You know, it, the leaving cert was horrible, but I used to have that dream. Oh, Christ, it's the leaving cert. And then one day I was I had to do the leaving cert and I didn't know anything because it was so long ago. And then I went, I wrote a novel and they went, OK, you can go. And it was just this joy that I'd, I'd gotten out of that system uh, yeah. that I hated so much. So, yeah, it's that. that about growing up. Yeah. It is art with salvation for me. It was yeah. my get out of jail card. So let's go back just then to hope specifically, because sure. so it's always there. Um, yes. But in the in all in um, the devil, you know, it really becomes central yes. and you quote the opening of Finnegan's Way, quote yeah. the castle and environs. And the main character yes. is this old um, noble family from mm -hmm. Hope Castle. And, mm -hmm. and so that is a big part of what well, you're, you're a very international writer and your influences much to read and draw on. But Hoth specifically is, is very... Yeah. So maybe just tell me about the Hoth you grew up in and yes. where that is in your imagination. It, it's so strange because the older I get, it's becoming bigger. Um, the Hoth I grew up in was idyllic. Hoth is beautiful. I mean, Hoth is, is this beautiful peninsula. Um, I now live in Hoth. I, I moved out, I moved around, and we got ourselves back to Hoth. And I just found out that the Irish for the area that I live in, Deer Park, is Park na Because the Fianna used to train in, I'd heard that before. And remember I mentioned to you, you came yeah. out to Hoth and I said, somewhere there's ancient oaks here. Still can't find them, but the, the Fianna used to. And I just feel this history there. You know, I, I do genuinely feel this history there. So the house I grew up in, um, as I mentioned, was always sunny <laughs> in my head. It was always sunny. Oh my good yeah. <laughs> the gorse was always in blossom. Gorse will always be in blossom in Hoth summer, but in April, May, it's like boing, you know, green, or sorry, yellow everywhere, and the smell, that coconutty smell, yeah. and the cracking then later in the year when the seed pods burst. Uh, there were a lot of ponies. Cherry O'Brien had his pony club going and as a kid I discovered the ponies kids used to just hang out with ponies little girls sorry very much was a gender thing and we'd go up and groom these ponies and um, then when we were old enough we got to gallop around on the ponies and we had this freedom of this this magnificent peninsula and um, I feel very protective of it and I, at the moment it's under siege again because they're back to developers but they they've bought Hoth Castle after 900 years they sold it to a capital company the family who had it since 1100 it's a, it's whatever. It's basically predicted in your novel I mean that's more I mean there's a yeah you know, well I the worst happened in the novel, and I didn't think it would happen because it, it never occurred to me that the family would sell and they've sold it to a capital company and it's being carved up and, you know, um, and I feel this anxiety that, you know, they want to build on it, obviously. It's, a, it's an old castle domain with walls and um, so I, now I, I fear for this place I love for the future because you know, say if I even look at it from a literary history, Yeats lived in Hoth and wrote about the ghosts of Hoth, and then Joyce, where I met you last year, the rhododendron guard, yeah. Hoth Castle and Varnes. You know, it's this history that is 
as I say, literature has been my salvation. So Hoth is tied in with that, that those people that I felt fueled by walked these lands that we must protect. And we, the punters, are far less powerful than developers. And, best and you think as a writer that it's been, um, to have a very strong sense of being from a very particular place has given you, uh, I suppose, imaginative strength um, yes. to speak. Yes, yes. I remember once thinking I was going to emigrate and I didn't want to. Um, and realizing I'm walking around the hills, the West Mountain, going, this is who I am, this is who I am. And you know you're chanting something before you tune into what you're saying, and this is who I am, I'm this, you know. And I, I love it, you know, yeah. it's, it's partly the beauty, partly the historicity, is that the right word? Um, the sense of time, both past, future, um, that this thing has endured. And it, it's, it's quite hard to describe this, this feeling I get, but it's also an anxiety because I'm fear for it. And I, I, I realise like I'm going around scared for host. It's a very hard thing to be scared for. A I suppose if you feel you're part of the landscape yourself, then it's it's it is. Then a it's very it's an encroachment on yeah. yeah, on me. So then you went to uh, Trinity. So what about that? Uh, is, tell me a bit about the, your literary education and how, because you all you were you were um, inclined towards writing and reading yeah. from a very early age. Yes. And then I suppose the moment it became a professional was when you became a student of English in Trinity, is that right? Yeah, well, no, I, I would have left Trinity by then, but Trinity was the kind of opposite to the rest of my education. Trinity was the place to get to. Um, as I said, I got very alienated as a teenager by um, pretty much everything. <laughs> and, and I knew if I can get myself to do English in Trinity, I'll be on the right path, I'm feeling good. So it became a place for me to get to quite early on. And like say Joyce was all UCD, it, it was UCD, sorry UCD, but. Yeah, he was under the tree was, just there. Yeah. There's a photograph of him under that tree. Yeah. Yes, but it, well, Trinity was where I wanted. I suppose they didn't let Catholics in, but they did um, in my day. It was also to do with Dublin, being in your city centre, but it, it's just, it was the opposite. And also I wanted to do English and I'd been reared with all these dole cues, you know, and studying English was going to be just an extension of a dole cue. I knew that, you know, the, the Celtic Tiger hadn't, um, was another decade off. So it was, it was um, freedom, you know, to get in there and everything became about getting, I, get, I, I, I sound like I'm overstating it and I'm not, you know, I, I hated secondary school with a passion. I hate, I went to school oh. in Clontarf, I hated it. It was a convent, all girl, bitchy, you know, and maybe if, there is no secondary school in Hoth, but Hoth is a very mixed society. There's, everybody is there. There's fishermen, there's um, wealthy people, there's a middle class, there's this old Protestant, um, crowd there was um, poverty because of the there's a lot of social housing still is um, so it was a very mixed society and then when I went to Clontarf it was blanket middle class and and just stifling you know because you know everyone's the same so I that I, I couldn't hack that at all leaving 
kind of mix to go to this, this um, especially girls. Put a lot of any gender together is not great, you know. No. It's, genders are better just mixed. Mix them and match them is usually yeah. better. And so then Trinity was the, this liberation mm -hmm. and um, quite a few of the writers that I talked to in this series have mentioned, well, those who went to Trinity, mm. that it was um, uh, a key pivotal, not just being students, but there's something about Trinity in that time mm. that was very important in their formation mm -hmm. as writers. Was that, is that the case yeah. for you too? Yeah. And it's hard to say, it was just the people were interesting. There's something cool about it, exciting, you know. I still always walk past Trinity when I come into town. I haven't seen Trinity, I hadn't seen it until today. And now they have wild, wild flowers in the, um, in front of Front Arch. You know, and it's great. I just, it's there. You know, when everything else changes, that facade yeah, is still, still there. there. And it, it's um, a touchstone. It's security. Like, imagine if you went to town and it was gone. Like, imagine how shocking that would be. So, yeah, it, it is, um, I suppose when you have no path, and writers don't have a path, they have to invent the path as they go. If you can find foundations like Trinity, you put it there, you put your joys there, you put your poets in, you put all the stuff that makes sense, you have to kind of hoard it together and now you've got that much path and you go there and you find mm. some more and you keep, you know, trying to construct a route for yourself, so. It is interesting to me that the way you just talked about Trinity there is quite similar to the way you were talking about Hoth earlier, yeah. you know, um, something that should always be there. Yes. And I wonder if this, um, this question of change and anxiety about change yeah. or things going is um, that also along with the question of economic anxiety is that is that a shadow not cast over your work but that is present in your work? Do you think? Certainly, what I'm writing now, no, it's present in my life as a person. Um, no, um, I think we go through loss of self as we get older. And that person I'm talking about with great excitement is gone, and I know that, and I'm writing about that. And it's particularly stark if you become a mother, your guillotine comes down on your old life because now you're, you're just this person minding your baby. Yeah. So um, now I'm, the, what I'm working on now is about specifically the self, you know, and, and I can look at it from that perspective. That's the past, Trinity. Well, Hoth is, is, is my present as well. But, um, yeah, I am anxious about all the change. And it's funny, like, on the bus coming in, I recently reread Ulysses and love that sense of Dublin, you know. And just coming in on the bus, I hadn't been on the bus in ages because it's the whole <sighs> pandemic. But, you know, just an old man was walking by and he saw the bus and he just went and then and gone. And it's just like, that's... That's yeah. what this city is. I'd hate that to go. That specific Irish thing of... Did you remember we all thought during the Celtic Tiger that it was gone forever and then no. it, it, has, it has proved very yeah. resilient. Yes, we communicate through gags, yeah. through, it's, you know, it's just, it, 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 it is actually enduring. Um, so when I see little flashes of, you know, I'm going, it's all right, it's going to be, mind you, he was older. If I saw somebody 20 waving at him, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you might be worried. Man, a bus. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so then after Trinity, you went into television. Um, yes, I did. Yeah, so just tell us the, the, 
the story of your your career then until you became um, a published novelist? This was um, trying to invent the path, and uh, that's when when I got out of college. It was ninety five, and the Celtic Tiger was beginning. Like I, I was, we were reared to emigrate, you know, and I had um, I had a green card to the states. I'd been to the states the year before. I'd worked in Germany for a while, then I got a green card to the States and I was going to emigrate. Again, not really wanting to, but um, it's it's what I'd been reared to do and what I expected to do and what I was prepared to do. And then film industry started taking off here. It wasn't that I just wanted to work in film, it's just it started taking off and I got onto a, a FOSS course um, and did a FOSS course in film and television skills or something um, and after being a runner all over in editing places I got a job in Ballycus Angel which was a BBC TV drama about a priest <laughs> a nice priest and uh, worked in that for three and a half years while starting my novel and starting all summer because uh, TV is freelance you work really 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 hard for you know 22 weeks and then you're unemployed and you don't know when your next job is so in the unemployed don't know when my next job is that's when I started putting together the novel and um, I wrote a first draft in 10 weeks which just you know took me the last novel I've written it's not the one that will come out I think it took six years to get a first draft you know so somehow I think out of panic I managed to block out a novel and it was the first draft, like it, it largely remained similar enough. Um, and once I had that, um, then it was back, back to Trinity. <laughs> um, I've made a sense smoother than it was. I had a, it started going wrong for me in there, but my heart was not in it anyway. You know, I liked editing. I actually learned an awful lot from editing. Yeah. Specifically, be out, you, you move stuff around. You know, there's, you get your shooting script and you shoot it and you stick it together, scene one to scene six. As long as I can see it in your writing, because you're, you're very good at transitions among the oh, things you're good you. at. And I, I wondered, um, did you hone that skill in Valley Kiss Angel? Oh, you, yeah. everything got moved around. That's the wrong opening, open, try that, no, try that, try, okay, move that. that and it, it was that, like there was a picture of each scene and you'd have 60, you just, and I loved that. I thought that was really interesting you know and, and the plasticity of narrative was exciting to me and of course we had laptops so you know we could do that if <laughs> or typing that would have been you know actually things would have been different but if we hadn't computers when we worked but we could you can just cut paste move around and um, that was um, exhilarating you know I, I used to love watching it come together you know and how things change if you put them in different places, even though they haven't changed, they just seem changed. It's so you brought those skills then to create writing in Trinity, and then you published four novels in relatively quick succession. Yes. And that's yeah. and that's that's one arc of your Yes. So we just talk about that before we move on to the later stuff that you because um, one of the things that's come up again talking to the other writers the last while is that uh, the idea that writers born in and around the 1970s in Ireland, that their work is, makes more use of humour than 
say writers a generation older, a generation younger. And I was rereading your work the last few days, and it's definitely true in yours. There's a kind of um, uh, an ironic edge to it where you never fully know um, what is what is serious and sincere and what is kind of a gag um, that I think might be characteristic of the generation, that generation. Do you think that's true? I think that goes back to the bus thing. I think it's an Irishism, you know. I, that's the thing I'm scared of losing. Um, as I mentioned, um, just finished, not just finished a while ago, finished rereading Joyce and that humor, that Irish, Joyce, it's, it's Dublin humor, but it's, it's, um, it's there. Like, a, you know, after the funeral, uh, Paddy Dignam, Paddy Dignam, his funeral, and Corny Kelleher, who's the funeral director, comes up and goes to the funeral attendees. That went off a one what? The funeral director. Yeah. I don't think. I think. Oh, please say that won't ever be lost. Yeah, I live opposite a primary school, and the other day, the, I walked out of the house, and the children were all screaming at me from behind the railings. At you? Yeah, and okay. I and I realised they so their ball had gone over the railings right. and wanted me to go. So I ran over yeah. and retrieved it and yeah. threw it over. And there was like great shouts of adulation. It was, like, it was a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful way to start my day. Like 40s. Then I turned around the corner and this man, a bit like your man in the bus, uh, looking at the bus, he just walked with the cap and everything. He just looked at me without smiling yeah. or anything. He just said, here he comes, hero of the hour. <laughs> and I was like, and off he went. <laughs> I wasn't, I'm not sure, was he making fun of me? Was he like, did he He's see how proud I was? <laughs> Hey, it was, um, so it's, it's alive and well in, yeah. uh, in Dublin 8. Anyway. Yeah, well, I hope it's, like, how can that be lost? You know, how I think that stuff has strong antibodies, you know? Yeah, I, think, I do. I think it'd be hard to get rid I of it. I think it's in the bloodline. But I wonder, is there also a particular kind of growing up in the 1970s and 80s brand of humour that is, is there? I'll tell you to? one thing that is different from us and older is we didn't have the internet we didn't we, we just had mono channels now my kid begs to be let watch youtube and watch gamers on youtube and i've noticed his sense of humor is lifted from their gags and you see that's his pool whereas yeah, we just nice. had yeah. <laughs> it was about that size <laughs> yeah. pool of yeah. but we were all in the same pool a lot of hooks <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, and, and we were all working from the same um, jokes and the same yeah. um, cultural references and this, the same way of being. So, That's true. you know, that, that will change it. That this kind of sense that there is a, a, some sort of common culture that you can refer to and it'll be funny because everybody will know what you're referring to is. You know I mean? Yes, plus yeah. um, they're, they're, my kids' scope of reference is going to be completely different to mine. You know, we had Wanderly Wagon. What else? <laughs> what more do you need? <laughs> it was really... <laughs> I got satisfied all my desires. It was a really so. weird show. <laughs> I used to scream when the crow came on. But he has, and it's not Irish, is the other thing about his frame of reference. It's all, it's these, they seem to be mainly um, American. So I do remember when Friends came on. Do you remember when Friends started, people started um, uh, speaking with that accent? <laughs> <laughs> like us, yeah. <laughs> by people, I mean, we, um, a lot of people my age started, you know, going like, like that is so funny. You know, so will he ever, 
will my kid ever have that, that uniformity? No. So I, does that mean we will lose the, you know, hero of the hour gag? You know, I don't know. They'll have different gags. I suppose, yeah, everybody has a tool, given a toolbox, and yeah. then you see what to do with it. But just because you mentioned America there, like it is, so you asked us to read um, this essay you wrote about, um, about motherhood um, yeah. for today. And I was actually, did I? Uh, <laughs> or <laughs> I was teacher. told. <laughs> well, I did the homework. Okay. Um, and I'd read it before, so I read it again this morning, actually. Um, and I was thinking of asking about some of the bits that are at the edges of it rather than what's mm. at the center of it. And it opens with this sentence about America. Yes. And I was wondering what America, both as a place and as an idea, and even as a literary tradition, has meant to you. Because it comes up here and there in your yes. work and also in conversation with you. Yeah. I didn't know you'd done this thing in New York. But uh, there's, but Nabokov is a writer that you're often associated with and I, I see the, I see the real similarities. Especially Again, a funny writer, you know? Yeah. And who was really from somewhere that really was gone. Yeah. I mean, there, yes. was, there was no way. I mean, yes. that was, yes. there was no yes. castle left. It was yeah. all, all of us. Yeah. Every trace of it. He's from a place that didn't exist anymore. Wow. Um, but I think of him also as an American writer, obviously. Yes. But so what about America for you in American fiction? And um, I was just very struck by the fact that you opened this very personal, very intimate essay that's set in the Coombe and places like, like very Dublin. You opened it with, um, well, it was written in... in it was in, written in there. Nova, but there was something about America and the imagination that seemed important. Well, well actually, it was that America had pulled me out of out of motherhood because mm. Ireland doesn't support motherhood therefore it's all Ireland is a maternal society meaning that the mother does everything and there isn't um, there isn't supported childcare or any of that you have to um, it's very very expensive it's more expensive in Ireland than the States and then I got offered work in Villanova University and I took it and it was great and it liberated me from my child, <laughs> that's terrible, he's a lovely kid, but it was, I found it extremely hard to be a full-time mother. And with a writer's income, you are a full-time mother, you know, unless you've had some sort of commercial success, you're, you're not gonna be able to afford that, those fees. But then this job came and now I had an income, I had a job and now I can pay for childcare. So that was the first time I was able to put sentences together and they're all very short sentences because it was written in between his naps um it's the quickest thing i've ever written it's the least edited thing i've ever written but it was the first glimpse of i'm going to get out of this hole you know i felt very as i mentioned that guillotine that hurt you know yeah. it, it actually physically hurts when you're cut off from your writing life from your thinking life from your your, your being, you know, it, it was very harsh. So um, I f was rescued by Villanova University who, who offered me this. Now, now I'm an income generating unit, which is really important, you know, because you, once, once you have, once there's a baby, we're into unpaid labor and who does it? And I've become very aware of who's, who's doing the unpaid labor and it is a female endeavor. And we saw it again in COVID when, you know, the, the child cares and the schools, they all closed. So who was doing it again? It's, it's, it's women. Um, so it was set in Villanova because thank you, Villanova. You know, thank you for um, 
for giving a new new mother. He was two. I, I was two years into motherhood, but this was the first um, escape from it. Um, and therefore the first time I could write, because I hadn't written anything for so long, because if you have this going on, you, can, you cannot think, you know. It was, it was absolutely remarkable what motherhood did to my brain, and I tried to write it down there. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe for, if any of the bold listeners haven't done the homework, you might um, just summarise that, that essay, because it was an, an unusual foray into non-fiction for you as well. Yeah. And so I, maybe I, I, just, to just run us through what the essay... Well, the, the main thing that, about motherhood was how unprepared I was for how you can no longer think. If you have, I feel like you're kind of sold a pup, you're sold this image of, and it is that too, you know, but it's a lot more. This image of you and serenity and um, you're going to have this smile and, but actually you're stressed out of your head and all you can think of is that baby because it really kicks in the evolution. You are minding this child to the exclusion, everything else falls away. But it means you can't think anymore and you can't, certainly can't write. I couldn't. Women have. They really, you know, and I don't know how. I remember I had to interview Barbara Kingsolver and, she, you know, one of the things I read, she used to breastfeed while... <laughs> I just, wow. Wow. What, like, I could barely... I could barely finish sentences, you know. I wouldn't have been able to have this conversation with you. So... You know, I want I wanted to write about that. Um, Sorry to cut across there for a sec, but also there's a sense in the essay that this stuff has been kept secret, and there's a there's a feeling in the essay that there's a kind of a, a sort of almost clandestine communication mm. amongst these new mothers, um, who are especially one in particular in the coup, yeah. who are kind of yeah. like sort of secretly enemies of the regime. And oh, are, it's and are, it, was, it was Hollis Street, uh, and it's shocking. Sorry, in not the coup, it was Hollis it's Street. It's shocking sorry. in there. It's, I was like, what? You know, it's like, and it's like they do it on purpose. They wake you up and, you know, there's babies screaming the whole time. You're, so you're like, I came out of there like hallucinating. I still ask my husband, like, what was I like? And he went, you weren't at your best. Because <laughs> I hadn't slept for, like, you, yeah. you, I, I knew I was crazy. I knew I'd kind of gone broken on through to the other side in there. And I, I've never broken through to the other side. It was, it was that kind of jittery. And then you have to take home this infant and, um, it was it's tough like it's it's so hard um yes women will tell you between themselves just all, all the ravages to their body for instance but there's a public face that we put out um i kind of think of birth as like if you're walking along a street and there's lots of people and you fall and you pick yourself up and you go i'm fine <laughs> You may have a broken leg. You, you're you're going to get out of there and then sort it out. You're you're not going to go. Okay, everyone, make a fuss. I've, you know, broken my leg here. You just get up and you say you're fine. You keep moving, and that's a real Irish mammy thing to do. It it does, yeah. I I. <laughs> and there's a delicate line because if if you really spell it out, is that the end of the human race? Because <laughs> who's going to go down? Like if I'd known everything I knew now, I think I said this in the essay. I wouldn't have had the baby. But then I wouldn't have had the baby. And now I have this child who is the best thing that's ever happened to me. So oh, I suppose now I've been writing about a novel about it. And 
if I have a thesis, which I don't, it's a novel, but if I did, it would be that um, the genders need to work together on this one. You know, babies have fathers, fathers need to um, be part of their lives. And the children need to understand, that's why the novel I'm writing is actually addressed to the child, um, what motherhood is. So that we all kind of go, okay, this is, this is what it is and we need to um, support the mother as well. You know, not just go, you have a lovely baby, good luck with that. Um, yeah, yeah. And then to be prepared to be the object of such intense need and... Yes. And yeah. 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 I mean, it's great, but it, it does wreck your brain. It is great. Like, I, I wouldn't change it at all, but um, I would have supported myself better. You know, I'd have put certain things in place to have a fuller understanding. And now, then I go, well, then I wouldn't have written this novel that I have. I'm hopefully will finish it in between the mothering. <laughs> yeah, in between. Because <laughs> I, I, the essay, I mean, it also, it's back to that, that theme of change and that it does, it, it does sort of narrate this terrifying kind of plunge into an abyss and a fear that that change is permanent yeah. And then and you really bring the reader along in that sense. And then at the end of it, it turns out that it's that it does end. It does. Yes. Um, and or it, it turns into something new. Yeah. But it's not in any very it's not in a kind of sentimental powder. Like it's 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 an ending that is hopeful or positive, but that doesn't erase the suffering that that well, up to it. it's it's all a lot of the motherhood stuff is couched in sentimental terminology and it, it it's very um, patronizing to the mother, I find, because I'm still an intelligent being, you know, and I'm, I'm still a creative being, even though for that period I was stupid. And it was really, really interesting to not, like, I remember looking at a dart timetable and kind of, I have to be there at this, I can't do that song, you know, it's, it's, it was really interesting to no longer be able to think because you're used to just you're everything yeah. being truncated and you know you forget everything and um to to make that huge life change um was it as an artist it's interesting you know looking back on it i want to go whoa that was uh, how do i depict that without it being really boring and whiny yeah and that has been the challenge to depict it to make a, a dramatic story out of it which i hope i have so something I was struck about in the essay is well, so it's obviously um, a very powerful feminist essay. It is trying, it is succeeding in bringing a kind of hidden experience that women have, making it public, bring it out into the light, and it does it in a you know all holds barred, very powerful way. And the person, the figure that you reach for um, for company. In, in the essay is WB8. Yeah, I know, it's mad. So, how about that? Because he's, he's, <laughs> well he's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> he's a very maternal figure yeah. of WB8. So, because um, he's, he's, he's come in for a drubbing um, recently. How is he? So, um, How is he coming um, for a drubbing? Uh, yeah, here and there, yeah. Um, okay. As I suppose, yeah, I suppose you couldn't really say he was a uh, you know, feminist on it, but <laughs> maternal. <laughs> but what? So tell us about that, and um, I, I find that a very interesting part of it. That it this says something about your are, relationship. We are in very interesting times with how the the males are being reevaluated. We are, you know, and you know, 
I'm sorry. It's funny. Having reread Joyce, it's like he got it right every time, you know. And yes, he will find it. He is on the right side. And then, yes, I can see Yates. There are problems with women there. Why did I turn to Yates? Because he's one of remember the stones I was putting in place, and he is a great artist. And it's, I, I value that more than anything. And Yates had writer's block, and I, I think that's amazing. And then he came out of it with a poem about writer's block. And that was my touchstone there. You know, I, I lie down where all the ladders start in the foul rag and bone shop of the heart. So um, if a great figure like him um, can lie down in, in the foul rag and bone shop, I didn't lie down, I fell down, but you know, I looked to him to help me. And they do help me, yeah. you know, like Yates helps me. Um, it's funny, I've been thinking about Yates and Joyce. Here I am, like years, why am I thinking about them? Because they're my touchstones, but I was thinking about, you know, Yates was his response to the pandemic and to, you know, jo Joyce is writing new essays about, you know, Corny Kelleher and all, all this, these um, little tiny humane interactions and sad things, funny things, man grieving loss of his child and marriage and son grieving the loss of his mother, but all the little stupid interactions they have, whereas Yeats was writing at the same time, you know, things fall apart, the falcon cannot hear the falconer, and it's totally different ways of looking at the same thing. Yeah. And I find that really interesting because the thing that joins them is their artists and it's, it's all about the imagination and you take this awful, awful thing and you come up with this stuff, look what you could, you know, and there's salvation. So, yeah, I, I suppose Yeats isn't going to be the great feminist. <laughs> Although it's what it suggests, you know, you're, is that, that... Well, he helped the, me yeah, that, um, <laughs> when I was on my knees. Yeah. In the foul rag or his poetry shop. did. Like he, he, yeah. He, yeah he, he didn't come over and babysit, which no, he would have been not, very no. helpful. <laughs> but, <laughs> Nor did Joyce. <laughs> no, to Joyce. No. <laughs> I don't think I. Well, that's what I was reading about Joyce is to be in the bed with the kids crawling over him, right? And you'll say it. Yeah. I yeah. don't know how you do right. that. Uh, so maybe just uh, wrap up then by. Um, there's two things I wanted to ask you about before we finish. One is um, you're not on social media, that's not part of your no. work as a writer. No. And, um, Don't get it. I like I. I'm I, I'm really glad I grew up after that. I'm really glad I grew up. I can't even understand how Twitter unfolds and how you follow sentences. But it, it's that. Um, also, the the kind of invasion of privacy. I I couldn't bear it. So um, I I don't want to hear other people's opinions of me. Um, I think that comes from going to a conference school where there's girls right. bitching about each other. They're not going to hear anything good. Yeah. <laughs> primitive form of social media. Yeah. <laughs> but like, thank God we weren't armed with phones then. Yeah, Can God. you, like, I, I actually have thought that, I'd say maybe 10 times I've gone, oh, thank God they didn't have phones. phones. In on top of yeah, that. yeah, then it's following yeah. you, you know, because it is, and that, that is a universal thing. I don't think that's a generational thing that girls will undermine each other in certain ways. Um, boys will thump each other. You know, I, I think, um, yeah, so no, I don't do social media and find it kind of frightening and creepy. So the last question is, do you want to tell us something, um, whatever you want, as much as little you want about the next 
book. Okay. Um, yeah, it's a novel about motherhood, about the early years before a child can really speak. And it's about, it's actually, it's, I mean, it's about a lot of stuff, but it's, it's about that severance of self. Um, where you have to become, by definition, a totally new person and you lose who you are. Um, it's about the existential boredom of being stuck with a little kid. It's about the panics that happen. Um, it's about the difficulties it inflicts on a marriage, but it's about the love, you know, the incredible love as well. More, I mean, I, when I, and it's, it's really, you mentioned humour. I remember thinking when I started this book, this book must not be funny because there's nothing funny about any of this. Um, and in the beginning it's not funny, but then it gets funny and then it gets okay and then we all find our way and we move on. And it, my, my um, little theory is just that people just sort of forget those early years. Because uh, babies erase themselves, you know, they, they get bigger and you forget the little one, then they're big and you forget that one, and they keep kind of um, overriding their, their past. But you do forget those early years and they are really difficult. So I wanted to write about the stuff we usually forget. And that's what, what I have written about, I think. And it's fiction. It's not a memoir, yes. but it's, it's, yes. it's fiction. And it's okay. funny, when I wrote that essay in Winter Papers, um, it's the most read thing I've ever written really? and there was lots of people wanted me to write more and this I suppose goes back into the social media thing but it's not about me it's about the imagination you know here's this set of circumstances what can your imagination do with that you know I, I realize more than ever I believe in fiction I love fiction I think it's really interesting that you can just make stuff up you know you don't even know yeah. what you're gonna make up till you make it up but I have faith in that that is a perfect place to end this and the series. Thank you so much, Claire. Thank you, Barry. Thank you.